This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's uh, wonderful to be together. I want to encourage you, just as we are in this journey as a church, um, sit, walk, stand. Uh, it really is centered around the fact that God has given you and I a specific identity, and as we've been going through this year, we've been having quite a specific journey. God's been helping us discover our gifts. He's been helping us see the big picture of the gospel. He's also helped us to see as this year's um, you know, theme has been stretch out, you know, behind me, stretch out um, our theme for the year, Isaiah 54, Jesus saying to us that he wants us to expand, to lengthen our cords, to enlarge, to give ourselves greater capacity to take on what God has, has got for us, also what He's leading us into. And in also looking at, at just our previous series we had around purpose, that God has given you and I as individuals uh, a specific purpose. We looked at the purpose of the church and how that's expressed in our Planted for Splendor um, series, but we've also now looked at individually what does that look like. But now in this next season, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, which is a phenomenal, uh, such a rich book. It's one of those... It's sort of uh, Paul's um, kind of magnus opus almost. Uh, it it, it, it uh, summarizes something of, of what he believes, what he wants uh, you and I as believers to come to know and understand. And, and as Watchman um just in his summary and overview of the book, he looked at these three aspects that as a believer, we need to learn to sit, which means we need to understand our position. And that everything that we experience, everything that we walk in, all, all of what God is wanting to do in and through our lives happens from, first of all, being seated with Christ in heavenly places above powers and principalities. He has seated us with Him. And because of that identity, because we rest in God, we're not actively having to work it out and, and trying to earn God's favor, and we're trying to earn God's blessing, but actually God has given us all that we need. And from this place of seat, being seated with God, then God does ultimately then ask us to get going with some stuff, you know, because this side of heaven, there's still lots to be done. And He wants us to be able to walk in the fullness of what God has promised us. And if you look at the book of Ephesians, it's kind of neatly divided up in a couple of ways. The first few chapters really speak about our, our, our place in God. The second, uh, you know, and third, well, third and fourth chapters even chapter 5 as well speaks about how do we walk this out? How do we express our faith? And then lastly, we look at our understanding of, of being able to stand in the fullness of what God has done. Not wanting to, to accomplish things in our own strength, but actually that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but actually against powers and principalities of the air. And our job isn't to go around looking at, where's the devil? Where, what's, what's happening? How can I? But actually... Paul encourages us four times in chapter 6, saying that you and I should stand. And when you've done all to stand, continue to stand. And so those are going to be the postures that we're going to be taking on in the next six weeks. And I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit really to speak to you as we do that. And so I want to just give you a bit of background around the church of Ephesus, uh, because it's important for you and I, when we come to the scriptures, to understand who are they actually trying to write to because often we can come with our own ideas and our own kind of perceptions, and we can read all sorts of things into the Bible that it doesn't really say, and uh, we can get a bit confused. 
And one thing just to, to note about the, the city of Ephesus is that it was one of, uh, was probably the second largest city in the ancient world. It had a, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. My kids are in this homeschooling curriculum, and one of the songs they sing is the seven wonders of the ancient world. And one of them is, is, is actually this temple that they built in the city of Ephesus, which was dedicated to the goddess um, Diana or Artemis. And, and we see how this city was so intertwined with Greek and Roman thinking and philosophy and expression, and how they had, because of their their heritage and this cultural coming together, they were consumed really with two things. And, and when I read this and when, as I was looking at it, I was like, hey man, this sounds like, sounds like you and I today, you know? People were consumed in, the, in Ephesus with two things. One was with outward perfection, making sure that everything was looking great, perfect in every way. And so, you know, that's what when you, you could see that in, uh, in some of the, the Greek sculptures and things, you know, the, the sculpture of David, perfectly formed, no blemish, no spot whatsoever. And so they were consumed with this notion of being perfect on the outside, but also they were consumed with this idea of, of spiritual world. There must be some things out there that uh, we can somehow attain, and, and actually in their worship, especially of the goddess of Artemis, it meant that if you came into that temple, you know, you needed to rub the goddess the right way. You know, you, you had to come and do things, do your dance, do your thing, bring your fruit, bring your fire, bring whatever is required, and then once you have done all of that you, you need to do, you can walk away with a, a clear conscience knowing, hey, I've done everything I need to do, now the goddess or the god I've just, they owe me. They've got to give me what I need and what I want. And in our day and age today, we can be so consumed with the outward focus and our outward appearance and our physical things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How do I look? What's my financial scenario? What's my status in society? I can be so consumed with those things that I forget that I'm actually seated in a different place. Or I can be so consumed with spiritual matters and, and be consumed with what's the devil doing and what's happening and, 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 and to be so, you know, this month is Halloween month, so there's a lot happening, so we can be so consumed, and I'm not saying that those things are not real, and I will be touching on that, I believe God wants us to have a right understanding of the spiritual realm, but for the people of Ephesus, they were over-focused, over over-emphasizing that. So Paul comes into this context, and he, he discovers as he comes into, you can read about this in Acts chapter 19, he comes into the city of Ephesus, bumps into 12 disciples, not of Jesus, but of John. And, and as he begins to speak to them, he realizes, hey, these guys, they, they understand, they've been proclaiming the kingdom of God, because that's what John uh, proclaimed, the repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they were going about doing that. And as Paul begins to ask some questions, it's really good to learn how to ask questions when you interact with people, even if they say they're believers. Good to ask some questions. And as he's asking them questions, he realizes that they actually only believed in and received John's baptism. And so he asked them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They said they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. He then preaches the gospel to them, tells them that Jesus came to fulfill as the true Messiah, the one that would usher in God's kingdom. 
and that now there's a new dispensation, a new covenant that's been put into place and it's been bought in and purchased in Christ's blood. And now you and I have access to the Holy Spirit. And so he prays for them. They get filled with the Spirit. And then something awesome happens. That whole city gets turned upside down. For a few weeks, he preaches in the synagogue. Obviously, the religious leaders and things, they get a bit... So the gospel of Jesus is going to get your religious bones out of, out of joint. And, uh, and so they realize that's not working. And then they go into a place called, the, uh, like a lecture hall called the, the Hall of Tyrannus. So those of you that have been around City on Hill uh, for a while, you'll know that this building, when we launched the building project, we trusted the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, can, can this place be like a Hall of Tyrannus? Yeah. An instruction place where people are in, encountering Jesus, equipped and empowered, and then sent out because it says that within two years of Paul coming into Ephesus, the whole of Asia came to know the gospel. How awesome and powerful is that? And so you and I need to understand this into this context that Paul is writing and he's encouraging these believers and it's amazing to see that, um, that we, we, we need to understand these dynamics around the focus, over-focus on the flesh, over-focus on the spirit, but actually out of this place, God wants us to come into a place of being seated. And today I'm going to be speaking to us about you and I being chosen in order for us to sit in our rightful place, understanding that the life God has called us to live starts with us understanding that we're seated with God. We're, we are chosen by Him. And I love the way Paul kicks off this passage in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is your, your and my true identity. Our true position in God is that, and He wants to establish this from the beginning. He begins off by saying that he wants to bless our, our Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I have a Father in, in heaven through our faith in Jesus, and he is blessed. That is the beginning point for you and I. We need to understand that it starts with God. But then the very next part, he says that he, our God and Father in heaven, has blessed us with every blessing. Can you say every blessing? I didn't hear you. Every blessing. Now you can turn to someone next to you and say that I'm blessed. But even better, you can tell them that you're blessed. And the reason why it's important for us to start there is that you and I, if we don't understand that God has endowed us with every blessing, every spiritual blessing is available to you and I if we put our, our trust in Jesus and we realize that we have been chosen by God and He has brought us into this family, which we're going to see in just a moment. Now, remember they were, the Ephesians were obsessed with the spiritual realm. And so right from the beginning, Paul says to them, listen, I want you to understand that when you've put your faith in Jesus, that Jesus is above every, every other spiritual thing you could have ever encountered. Anything you would want to worship, Jesus is above that. And Jesus wants to be above that. We've just heard through all of the prophetic words during the worship. Uh, these guys, honestly, they don't get my notes beforehand. I, I promise you. They spend time with Jesus, 
and then they come and share what God is saying. How awesome is that? And I want to encourage you guys in the middle row and in the back row, when God speaks to you in the morning before coming to church, you know, you're welcome to come and share some of those things. It doesn't have to be just the, you know, us four no more. God wants to speak to all of us and wants to speak through all of us as we come together. So every blessing has been given to us, but it's been given to us by our God and Father who is above everything we could ever encounter. And friends, you and I need to understand that it's that God who is above everything that has chosen you and I. Because he continues to say, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, friends, if I had to unpack all of what's in here, we're going to be here for days. Uh, just in our preachers' meetings and as we've been wrestling with these passages, I've been so, just so, I'm like, which way do I go? <laughs> which way do we go? Is this, what do we emphasize? You know, what are the things that we, wanna, we want to uh, see? But I want you to see, first of all, Paul is saying to us, based on what Jesus has done, based on the fact that we are blessed, because of our, that blessing, we can now, the next logical step is that we need to understand that we are chosen. God has chosen you. Do you believe that God has chosen you? God has chosen to know you. God has chosen to love you. God has chosen to use you to advance his kingdom. And today I'm trusting that as we come to understand our seatedness in God, that our lives would never be the same again. And perhaps you know this already, perhaps you've heard of it before. I'm trusting that even for me as I was preparing, I was saying, Lord, I need to have a revelation of your love and your grace towards me. And so God chooses us despite our shortcomings, despite our limitations, despite the ways that we would fail him time and time again. He still chooses us. Now you and I cannot read the first chapter of Ephesians without dumping into a word called predestined. And I, I felt it would be helpful for us to maybe unpack a little bit of that concept for us because um, as believers and in the world that we live in, this is, can be a quite a confusing concept. Now, if some of you are going, Gareth, I don't really know and I don't really care. <laughs> but if you want to read the Bible, you want to look at each word and say there's some significance there. Yeah. And I, I want you to know that the concept of predestination, everyone has been grapp grappling with this. Predestination, another word for us, it is being elect, being chosen, being set apart. And I'm going to try my best to unpack a couple of concepts here for us so that you and I can at least share this in your life group for those that might not be here this morning. So what someone once says to, to, to explain election or predestination, um, <laughs> to try and uh, uh, explain predestination, um, and may, you may lose your mind, but if you try and explain it away, you may lose your soul. So in other words, to, to try and avoid the subject is a bad idea, but to try and explain it to its fullest extent is a bit complicated. And so I'm hoping that I'll be able to just give you a little bit of a handle 
so you can understand what it means. So now where this really came into the, the church world and became a real grappling uh, point and, and I guess even a point of splitting the church was where we, we saw a guy named, by the name of Calvin. John Calvin came on the scene um, and they brought through very strong reformed theology. Now, someone once asked me, Gareth, are you reformed? And I, I asked, uh, so I don't know, I, did I go to jail and I need to be reformed? Or I'm not sure, so sure what, I'm, what that's supposed to mean. Uh, and I basically said to them, do you mean that I'm, like a, I'm, I'm a Calvinist? Is that what you're asking me? And, and I said, well, most Calvinists would have, they call them tulips. There's five little things that they, meet, that they, that they believe as a doctrine. And out of the five, you can go Google it. I'm not going to unpack too much of it, but I'm probably three out of the five, so I'm a bit confused as a, as a Calvinist. But what they basically teach is irresistible grace. This is what Calvinists would, or reformists or hyper-reformists would, would, would uh, believe or teach. And what they basically say is that no matter what you think, you cannot resist the grace of God. It's a done deal. It's decided in eternity. It's irresistible grace. But what they do is they take it a little bit further and they say that you and I couldn't say no even if we wanted to. And that's where the problem lies with hyper, hyper predestination, hyper reformed theology. Five level Calvinists would believe that God's grace already decided beforehand. And who is going to get saved? And, and you and I, if God chose you and I, we wouldn't even be able to choose not to be saved. And that's not really what the Bible teaches. It says that God has given us free will. He has chosen for all of us that he, all people would come to know Him. Every one of us would be saved. He's chosen, in, in effect, every person. But you and I can choose not to receive the free gift of grace and not put our faith in Him. There's another concept of predestination called double predestination. Now I'm getting really technical, okay? And what they believe is that God has already chosen who is going to go to heaven and who is going to go to hell. And basically you have no choice in the matter. And we don't believe that either. Because God has given each person an opportunity to be able to be saved. There's another kind of teaching in the midst of this called limited atonement. What that means is, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you guys a big theological lesson right now. What they teach is that Jesus only died for the ones that he predestined. And he determined in advance to save. And so the rest of us, perhaps that God didn't choose, then sorry for you. You cannot be saved. But we see that God in Jesus came to save and seek and save the lost. And he came to, God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. We see this in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18 to 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is very important. God didn't send his son in to condemn those who are not with him or not. Uh, haven't put his faith, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Whoever believes, whoever, it doesn't say some, it says whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Very simple there, friends. 
God loves the world. He wants all of us to be able to save, but you and I have a choice in the matter. And as I unpack this a little bit more, I believe God's going to help us see this even more. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Any ungodly people around here? All of us, every one of us in our sinful nature have been fallen short of God's glory. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose His love. God loves you. He loves the world. And His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us all. Friends, God wants you and I to be saved. And so the Bible teaches predestination. So God already knows the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to choose him and who's not going to choose him. But God also gives you and I the choice. And I'm trusting that if you're far from God today, that you wouldn't wait another moment. But actually put your faith in Jesus and put this choice or choose him. Another way of illustrating it is, is if you and I were driving on a highway... You know, we don't have many off-ramps here in, uh, in Clarksville, but if you go to, to, the, to the Joburg, they in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? <laughs> there, there's always those off-ramps when you get to Galulis and you're just hoping that you can see the right one. Which one is it? But as you enter and approach this one off-ramp, a big signboard says, Whosoever will, let him come. And some of us may pass that off-ramp day in and day out, never responding to the invitation that says, whosoever will, come. God's invitation for you and I and every person on the planet is come. But at some point, you and I might choose then to take the off-ramp. And as you come, there's a nice little you know, rest stop. And you find that there's a door that says, whosoever will, come inside and as you open the door and walk through the door and close the door behind you, what it says behind the, the door on the other side is that you and I have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So when we receive and respond to God's invitation to come, we automatically know that we are chosen by God. And I want you to understand that our seatedness starts with that knowledge. That before the foundations of the world, God loved you, and He knew you, and He wants to express His love for you. Now, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said that if it's a good thing that God chose me before the foundations of the world, because if He had waited until I was born, He would have changed His mind. <laughs> In our depravity... God would, if we look at our own life, we wouldn't choose ourselves. But God, in His love and grace, before the foundations of the earth, chose us. D.L. Moody says that, he says, the whoever wills are the elect, or the ones that have been predestined, and the whoever won'ts are the not elect. It's very simple. So now you understand predestination and how that works. And there is a sense that and I mean, I've even had this conversation with people in our city where people have a bit of an ultra-reformed theology. What they believe is that because God has chosen, already chosen who is going to get saved, I shouldn't share the gospel with anybody. 
Because maybe God didn't choose them. And then I'm going to mess with God's plan and His sovereignty. And friends, that simply is a false doctrine. They will quote some scriptures that say, you know, you, you can't cause someone to stumble. And please, friends, it's God's heart that all would, save, would be saved. All would come to the knowledge of His love and all would experience Him. But then what Paul begins to speak to us about, and this is the, a powerful reality about being chosen, and this reality of being predestined. So you and I have been predestined as we see in chapter uh, 1 verse 5 of Ephesians. He says, in love, He predestined us for what? For adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, friends, when he speaks about this idea of adoption, for the people of Ephesus, I need you to see this picture. Because of their obsession with perfect outward appearance and spiritual world, they discarded anyone and anything that did not represent that perfection. So if a baby was born, perhaps being a girl rather than a boy, perhaps having some deformity in them. They had the right as parents, it was common practice, to take that baby outside the city to the rubbish dump and just chuck the baby there. But it gets even worse. There would be these, these scum of the earth types of people who would hang around and would sometimes take those children and, and, and make them slaves, enslave them to, to become involved in all sorts of heinous practices. These children, because they were imperfect, were discarded, but then also enslaved if they didn't die. That was the context that Paul writes. And then Paul writes and he says, but you have been adopted because for the people of Ephesus, they would understand this concept and idea of adoption. Because what would happen, and this is something the Christians did. The Christians would from time to time hang around the rubbish dump. Be on the lookout for children that might be discarded. And then as loving Christian people would take those children into their own homes and adopt them as their own sons and daughters. So when Paul writes and he speaks about this picture of adoption, I want you to see that. Discarded for death, discarded towards slavery. But you and I, as agents of change, as agents of God's kingdom, are able to step in and do for this child that was discarded what God did for you and I. You see, friends, Jesus comes into our slavery, you and I were once slaves. If you've, if you've accepted Christ at one point in your life, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And you were enslaved to your sin. No way of redeeming yourself. And Jesus would come into the slave market of our lives. And he would pay the full price for you and I, redeeming us. But then once he has paid the price, he, he doesn't stop there, friends. 
Do you know what he does immediately? He immediately takes us to the courtyard before the judge in the courthouse. And then he begins the adoption process. Because, friends, if you've ever adopted someone, if you've ever experienced that, what happens is once the adoption process is completed, on your birth certificate, your adopted parents, their details are now on that piece of paper. There is no record of your previous life. You have now been brought into a new family. Everything that you had that was sinful, that was a barrier between yourself and God, all of that has been removed, and you've now been placed into a new family. That's what Jesus does for you and I. He pays the ultimate price for us, but then doesn't just stop there and say, okay, well, if you behave, if you're a good kid, if you're going to be a good son and daughter, I might see how it goes. I love the story of two young boys who were playing a part, they were part of like a sporting event together. They were actually brothers. And the coach at one point um, looked at their birth certificates and realized that they had been born in the same year. And so the coach was a bit perplexed because these boys were, were not twins. And so he, he called the two boys and asked them, so listen, um, what's the story? This is impossible. Your parents couldn't have had two boys at the same time, like in the same years. The timelines don't match up. And they simply replied, well, we were adopted. The coach asked, but which one of you were adopted? And the boys said, well, we don't know. Our dad just told us that he loved us both so much he forgot which one <laughs> was <laughs> adopted. God loves you and I so much that He forgets all of our past and brings us into this family, brings us into this hope, into this life. I love what uh, happened to Steve Carter. He himself grew up in a home where his, his father ran off and, and, and left them, and he, so he grew up without a father. And during this period of time, a, a, a man came into their family. And his, his mother eventually married him. And this man became a real true father figure to him. And one day he said they went down to the court, courthouse and they, they um, you know, did the paperwork. And, but before that, just before they went in to do all of this, where he would need to stand up in front of the judge and say, yes, I want, to, I want this man to be my father lawfully. I want to be adopted by him. He was having a chat with his new dad. And his dad said the following to him, you know, Stephen, most parents, actually all parents, cannot choose what children they have. It's chosen by God. Boy or girl, what they look like, gifts, talents, all of that's done by God. But for me, as an adoptive dad, I got to choose. And today, I'm choosing you. Friends, God steps into our lives. And wants to redeem all of what we have. And it's, you and I need to understand that our adoption, our election, our predestination is birthed from this understanding that we have been adopted by a heavenly father. And we have access to him. It's a beautiful picture. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, remember? To fall back into fear. 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Friends, I want to just pause here for a moment. I don't know how much time you've spent just resting in the knowledge of God's love and His acceptance of your life. And I don't want to move on until this truth has sunk into our hearts. Perhaps we can just take a moment, even those of you that are watching online, I want to encourage us, just take a moment right now. Experience the love of the Father being poured into your heart right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that this truth would so grip our hearts and we would be so settled in it, secure, no longer falling back into fear, but now calling out to you, our Father. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us, that you've adopted us, and that we are yours, and nothing can remove us from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So friends, I have five quick applications I'd love to share with you. Just based on this, I want to encourage you that as you come into this week, as we continue this journey, that we would begin this place and that we would draw from this place of being seated with God because of His love for us. The first one is that you and I have assurance. Not insurance. It's not assurance. It's not my way. It's assurance. Okay? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. <laughs> that reality. You and I have assurance of our adoption. Assurance of God's choice towards us. And you and I need to appropriate. In other words, I've got to access it on a daily basis. So as you sit tonight or tomorrow morning, whenever you're having your moments with God, can you rest? Can you draw from that assurance that God has chosen you? Secondly, there is power that happens or comes from this position. And you and I get to draw from that power, just like those early disciples that Paul encountered. They knew of God. They had come to experience God. They were seeing God move, but only once they had experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that seal that you and I, this is what it speaks about later on in chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit's been given to us as a seal, a guarantee that God is with us and that nothing can separate us from His love, but that you and I would draw from that power that God gives. Thirdly, you and I need to walk and apply humility. Because often I've seen how we can so like be like, you know, sort of like the five-year-old on the, on the play, playground. My dad's bigger than your, you know, dad, and my dad can do this. And so sometimes we can take on more than what we should. And I think in this season, God's wanting us to walk in greater humility. In other words, dependence upon Him. Every single moment of the day, entering into His throne room to obtain mercy and to find grace. Fourthly, friends, God wants you and I to experience hope. The hope that we have, an eager expectation that God will complete the work that He started in us. He will bring to completion the work that He started in us. And remember, as we're going to see in this series, and as Paul unpacks it throughout the book of Ephesians, that God has placed within us the ability to know Him 
but also ultimately that in everything it's about becoming like Him. It's not about us waging warfares or winning battles or, you know, just accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish in this life, but actually it's about becoming like Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 would speak about us being brought into the fullness of the image of, the, of God, the, the maturity, the mature manhood, and so that we would have that hope that God would bring that together. And then lastly, friends, the application, friends, there has to be a moment where you and I are proclaiming the gospel with boldness. We can boldly proclaim the gospel because of this new position, because we have been chosen, because we have been adopted, because God is at work in our lives. We cannot help but share the gospel with others. And I want to encourage you to look for opportunity. I know you've got that co-worker at work that you're like, oh man, I wonder if God chose this person or not. <laughs> if it was my choice, Lord Jesus, help me. Perhaps you have a circumstance or a situation. You need to apply the gospel. You need to bring the gospel into those situations. God's calling us to, to proclaim. We've, we've got our board outside here. Jesus equals life. Every single time someone puts their faith in Jesus, we're trusting to add a light bulb because God wants to seek and save the lost. And we have been predestined by God to be His kingdom agents. That's part of what God has called us to. And so we must and we should proclaim this gospel together. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.